Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening to Swarfcast. Before we start, we have a quick favor to ask you. If you love the show, please rate it and write a review on your podcast app. Or tell somebody about it. It really makes a difference for us, and we'd appreciate it. Okay, on with the show. You can imagine if you if you thought of building a house the same way you build a car in a factory, there's many aspects of factory building, which you get savings of when you look at um, kit houses or uh, factory built homes. And the question is, how do you apply that on site, right? Um, one of the largest benefits to 3D printing is the complexity not costing anything extra. This is Swarfcast. I'm Noah Graff, here with my special co-host, Rex Maganotti. On today's show, we're talking about 3D printing houses. Our guest is Jonathan Ladusara, head of engineering at Twente Additive Manufacturing, a company specializing in architectural 3D printing. Today's podcast is brought to you by Graf Pinkert. Looking for a screw machine, rotary transfer machine, or CNC machine? Graf Pinkert's got you covered. When you're buying any used machine, you're taking a risk. So it's important to buy from someone who knows their stuff and who is going to give you straight information about what you're buying. Graf Pinkert is a family-owned firm that's been dedicated to selling great machine tools to the turn parts industry for 75 years. It specializes in the top multi-spindle brands, including Index, Schutte, Gildemeister, Tornos, ZPS, Acme, and Wickman. They also sell a variety of other types of used equipment, such as CNC Swiss, CNC turning centers, and parts washers. Machine tools are complicated. If you're going to buy one, you should go to people who are knowledgeable and committed to the industry. Learn more at www.graphpinkert.com. That's www.graffpinkert.com. We are pleased to have Jonathan Ladusara, head of engineering at uh, 20 Additive Manufacturing. Welcome to the show, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. I met Jonathan uh, last week as we were selling an ABB robot, um, an ABB track robot. Jonathan uh, found us on the web and he called Graf Pinkert. And we ended up selling it to him and then um, started learning about his company and said, people need to know what you're doing. (laughs) So first, just tell us a little bit about Twente and then I'm going to get your background a bit. All right. Well, uh, Twente Additive Manufacturing is a um, collaborative we started at the very end of last year, but basically starting in January of this year. And we've got the goal of bringing 3D concrete printing uh, to the mainstream for large format concrete printing. So um, if you look at the um, field of 3D printing right now, the majority of it is always in plastics and metals and relatively small sizes. Mm -hmm. Well, there's this burgeoning field of concrete being used as a material. And uh, we thought it was a basically very, very good timing to get into that field ourselves. So how long um, has concrete uh, been being used for it? 
for construction thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Right, right. No, but for, for 3D, 3D printing. printing um, people have been playing with it since maybe uh, mid-2000s, but very informally. Mm-hmm. And since uh, 2010 to 2012, um, a couple companies have been uh, getting into the game. Um, what happens is that there's many people that try, but it's an industry that just like 3D printing was with plastics earlier on, people don't even know what it is or how it could be applied. So you're kind of creating a product that no one even knows exists or knows the benefits of. Hmm. Interesting. So for people that don't have any knowledge of 3D printing, give us the, the you know, the five-year-old spiel. Okay. Well, I'll essentially, there's actually beginning to have the next level of 3D printing. So I'll start with the, the simplest form of 3D printing and then move on to what's being achieved today. Um, essentially, 3D printing began as uh, 2.5D printing. So if you can imagine a sheet of paper and you're printing out a, a layout or a design on it, and then you were to print out hundreds or thousands of those layers, that stack and all of those lines on each of the papers would form a 3D object. And so when you look at that from, for example, the plastic uh, consumer grade 3D printers out there today, that's what they do. They will print a single layout at a single Z height and then increment by, it might be half a millimeter or a quarter millimeter, and then create another 2D layout. Now, that's essentially how you're going to create an item. There's many different ways that 3D printing achieves this, whether it's through stereolithography and other methods for, for metals and plastics. Um, but they're all doing this in this 2.5D uh, method. What's happening with this new technology around 3D concrete printing is that um, we're kind of getting, or at least being allowed to move away from this 2.5D into true 3D movement. Um, the material side, the bead size that you get out of the nozzle can be quite large and actually quite flexible in terms of how thick or the spacing between each of the passes, which means you can actually build things if they harden fast enough in various directions other than vertical. Hmm. And that's, yeah. that's, that's a, a breakthrough, not going vertical. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, um, it's very, let's put it, it's very simple to break it down into slices, which is why there's a lot of consumer grade um, slicers out there for 3D printers. And it, that creates a fairly simple code for the printer. But if you want to take a step up from that, you essentially have to find new ways of writing the machine code uh, for the control. So that's one aspect that we're focusing on to uh, create more interesting structures. Interesting. Yeah. Do you, do you have any questions? Yeah. Yeah. A number of them, actually. <laughs> on, on, the, uh, on the concrete itself, do you guys have yep. a proprietary uh, a mix that, you know? So um, I, I, I should set up sort of the state of the industry for that because um, there are many different um, types of materials. There are many different um, 
players in the industry for those materials. And we're essentially coming in from the um, material agnostic kind of point of view. We're, we're open to work with multiple partners and multiple material types. So we actually have right now projects going on with uh, single component materials, uh, two component materials, um, and, and so on from that. So you can get um, from the standard concrete suppliers, this single component material. And many of them, like the uh, Lafarge, if you've heard of Lafarge, all, all of these material suppliers are getting into the game and finding partners, 3D printing partners. And um, each of them are coming up with their own, trying to come up with their own proprietary formulas and recipes, but um, not many of them have it fully nailed down yet. So there's still a lot of testing to be done. And um, there's a lot of... Uh, cost overruns in the first batch of all these materials. So mm -hmm. the effect is that it's still um, very, very expensive to, to 3D print. So it's, it's used for very, very complex and um, sort of um, intriguing artwork, architectural designs. Okay. Um, that's where it's very easy to, to find the, uh, you know, the price point. Um, the challenge will be on the large format, you know, um, high volume prints. Okay, so yeah, that's that's what I was curious about. The stuff mm -hmm. you're focusing on building is artwork and housing, so, or what, so what, what, is, the, what is the main focus right now? Our our main focus is actually um, coming up very shortly, and essentially this fall we are going to be building a uh, code compliant house wow. out in British Columbia, Canada. So. Um, we're aiming to be the first 3D printed house in Canada um, come uh, come November, essentially. Um, this has have, been done elsewhere? It's been done elsewhere. And um, one of the major things you'll see if you Google 3D printing concrete is these um, quite impressive claims, which uh, <laughs> make, make great headlines for the news, but are essentially false. Um, Every headline you see about 3D printing concrete will claim printed a house in 12 hours, printed a house in 24 hours, even 48 hours. Um, but the reality is you, you can't achieve it in that time right now because of all the other components that have to be kept, kept going to print a house. So if you think about the, the runtime of a program, it might be in the 40 hour um, runtime, mm -hmm. but these are all sort of R&D projects and people are just trying to get the system to stay running for 40 hours, right? Um, and I, I have not seen a project that r ran it in a single print um, in, you know, 24 hours, like, like they claim. And what is um, yours going to do? 40 hours? We're, we're aiming for 40 hours of printing, yeah. yeah. But realistically, we're not, we're not making the claim that we can do it in 40 hours straight. Um, this is our first major print, mm -hmm. so um, we're gonna, you know, be very clear that it's 40 hours of runtime <laughs> um, and uh, you know code essentially. But uh, it's the build will probably take about a month, a month and a half. And what's it gonna look like? Is it circular, sort of, or uh, we're we're going for? And this is one of the the tricky things. Um, if you look at the majority of the houses that have been printed so far. They're essentially art exhibits or demo houses. Mm. They're not necessarily code compliant houses. So you can imagine that 
if you're trying to pass a 3D printed house for building code, um, <laughs> it's very difficult. Um, so people get around that by um, not calling the material structural. They actually just call it masonry. And um, essentially, the, the way to get through that with Canadian building code is that you build a poured concrete column structure inside of the print. So it's essentially, we have, ex we, we have confidence in the material being strong enough, mm -hmm. but to pass code, you have to <laughs> um, over-engineer just so that you can have the code-compliant components in the building. Now, are you talking about bracing for code uh, compliance where every like 16 inches or whatever so far that you have a cross piece going yeah. in? Yeah. So you can imagine uh, in a standard concrete build, um, you would have concrete columns mm. and a slab poured on top of that. So um, you can imagine that that same structure existing within our printed walls. So you print the very interesting exterior surfaces and then hidden inside of there are still some crevices for some rebar and mm. some some poured concrete. And it's not, uh, yeah, it's very clearly not because it's not strong enough. I got it's you. Because it's it's very difficult to get it to pass a simple building code, mm -hmm. and we want our building to really actually be uh, code compliant. Are you talking about putting the concrete beams inside the walls, like in the crevice in between the two walls? Yep. Yep. So um, you can actually you can visualize the the concrete as being a formwork also. Mm -hmm. So you can uh, have a crevice, a, a circular or a rectangular, or whatever shape opening uh, for a column, mm -hmm. a, vert a vertical column. You can also have a column running diagonally, um, and then you can have um, cross members linking the columns at the top as well. And all of that can be printed uh, within the the original print. Now, the roof itself, is it going to be like a standard roof? Are you going to try to pour a flat roof? Um, we're, we're actually, we don't want to stray too far from a house that someone would want to buy. Mm -hmm. So we could make this thing look like a bunch of igloos mm -hmm. locked together. Um, but then it might be ha harder to find a, an eventual house owner for right. it. So, um, so you, you, if you did it, it would have to be a flat top? Or can you exactly. make a dome? We're we're going to be working with uh, uh, some great suppliers of very very nice wood glue lamb beams, and uh, essentially integrating the the best technology you can find for CNC machining of timber for timber frame mm -hmm. with three uh, D printing of concrete. So it's basically all automated manufacturing, just of different materials. Okay, so when you say um, 48 hours to do a house, and you've already yeah. you know, stated that that's not really true, yeah. you're, you're talking about 48 hours or a little bit more than that. All you're doing are the outside walls. You know, so there's a lot of stuff that has to go to building a house. You know, the right. roof, the plumbing, the electrical. Did you say yes. that you could do windows? Yeah. And that's, um, like a, new, that's a new thing. So, so that's, that's an aspect that is... Um, a challenge and and we're very close to being able to to do that um but that's basically but what rex described is what you're doing you're it's it's the frame it's the walls it's the it's the frame to, to hold these components now eventually down the line once the first step you know is functional you can look at automating other other aspects 
such as placing of conduits, uh, wiring harnesses, you can imagine. If you, if you thought of building a house the same way you build a car in a factory, um, there's many aspects of factory building, which um, you get savings of when you look at um, kit houses or uh, factory mm. built homes. Mm-hmm. And the question is, how do you apply that on site? Right. Um, one of the largest benefits to 3D printing is the complexity not costing anything extra. So if you think of the way that uh, a kit home is built, they have these huge tables and they use these tables to align and build um, rafters and uh, attic spaces and wall structures. And your wall has to be flat. (laughs) You have no choice. The table is flat. That's what you're building. You're building a straight wall. But once you say that is no longer a requirement, your wall can have any curve you want. Um, though the structure and the furniture can actually be one and the same. There's nothing stopping you from printing a bench into a wall or a wall into a bench, whichever way you look at it. Um, you can think of parts of a building like if you think of the, the core of a commercial building where they have the electrical services, staircases, elevators, a bunch of things in a very closed space. Um, with conventional machinery, you're oftentimes going to be pouring concrete and then drilling a hole in the concrete or having to rework stuff. But if you can imagine the whole thing being represented in 3D to begin with in uh, a BIM, um, the whole thing can be already correct for its final use and components can be printed or spaces for components can be printed in place directly. So. There's nothing stopping you from printing a staircase within an opening for that staircase to walls, hmm. connecting an open space for plumbing for an attached you know, bathroom or, or, or a toilet or sink, um, and so on. So basically, the, the limitations of conventional construction are around complexity and um, taking big strides architecturally. The, the costs of applying conventional construction to someone's you know, creativity uh, can be very high. But with 3D printing, we can print whatever we want. And um, why are the windows so such a challenge? Um, <laughs> well, it's not 3D printing windows that's a challenge. It's 3D printing a window with no supports underneath. So... If you've looked at how 3D printing, conventional uh, plastic 3D printing exists, if ever you have an overhang of a certain amount, it needs a separate tower of material to go and support that part. And then once you're done the print, you actually have to rip that off and file that down and get it smooth again. So your, your part can actually have a bunch of little dimples on it. So you can imagine if you had to do the same thing with concrete, you'd end up with all of these... <laughs> little piles of uh, wasted concrete. And Mm -hmm. what we're trying to do is um, cut down on material usage. So the idea of 3D printing is that you only use the material that is going to form the final part. And so you can imagine trying to print an overhang without a support underneath it. You can easily put in a box, but then you need a user to uh, an operator to be there with a, a window frame or box to go and put in there before you put your next pass. 
But if you can get the settings right, you can print essentially over air. Listeners, do you have an idea for a future episode of Swarfcast? Or is your company interested in advertising on the Swarfcast podcast? If so, please send us an email at swarfcastpodcast at gmail.com. That's swarfcastpodcast at gmail.com. In a layman's term, I'm looking at this stuff, and it's almost like toothpaste coming out of a tube. Make yeah. it really simple, right? That's why you said yeah. nozzle. So when right. you get to the yeah. edge of it where the window is, I don't see how it doesn't ooze a little bit, how you're going to get a straight edge going straight up for the window. So the the materials side of it is really interesting. And it's basically that everyone is coming at it from a different direction. Um, if you think of the way concrete um, cures, you can either try and accelerate it. So you take a standard concrete and you just try and get it to harden faster, cure faster. Or you take one that is already very, very dry and is was going to cure fast anyway, and try and find a way to get, get that through your nozzle. So that's that's when you use plasticizers. So uh, different companies are coming out from different directions. Um, the simplest one for pumping is that you basically have a material that is very, very liquidy uh, and just before you get to the nozzle, you add quite a bit of hardener and accelerator. And so as it leaves the nozzle, it's already going through a very, very quick reaction of curing. So even though it'll come out very liquid, it's just, you know, um, it has the the properties, the thixotropic properties to hold its form. And then it's going to harden within, you know, 30 seconds. Um, Essentially... It has to harden enough to support the next layer. That's that's the goal, right? It just has to support the next layer. Um, there's plenty of failed prints in the in the lineup <laughs> before you get to a successful print. Um, when I talk about our our window attempt, it was a failure, but we we got very very close on the the properties and the the parameters to play with. And w- one of the great things about 3D printing is that we can essentially go from um, a line diagram. If you can imagine like an architectural layout of a home and that, that, uh, diagram basically has a single line or two lines depicting a wall. If you can go from that line with a length to the G code that is running in your robot directly, you can essentially draw a line and have a print come out. And we are pretty much at that stage right now. Is that what so, you're going to use the uh, the ABB robot for? Exactly, exactly. So you can use there's there's um, a, a type of modeling software called Rhino, and it has a an add-in which um, people have been using for a very long time. It's called Grasshopper, and it's this little add-in that does parametric design. So you take something like a, a single line and using this, these, this add-in software, you can create geometry off of that. And so you can imagine that you go from a single line and then you add on an inner wall, an outer wall, maybe a rain screen, some zigzags in the middle for structure. Then you, in the same program, change that into curves 
And those curves are essentially mapping out where you want your nozzle to run. And then the last step is converting those curves into uh, G code or rapid code. So we're pretty much at the stage that we can, and many, many people in the industry are at this stage now where you can go from um, the surface that you want to print all the way to uh, G code. And everyone has different uh, programs and slight variations. So it's going to be interesting to see uh, which ones last uh, because there's a lot of parameters that we're playing with uh, for each of these prints to try and get it to, uh, to work. Now, now, from a business perspective, are you talking about becoming a builder and going out and building these houses? Are you talking about licensing somebody else to do this? Um, so we're, we're coming to this space uh, really as uh, a company that wants to be part of this really quickly growing or has the potential to be quickly growing uh, economy or uh, part, of, part of the business sector. And essentially, we are ready to have from many of our, our supplier partners, um, printers available either for use, it might be sale, it might be rental, um, but there are contractors that will be able to own or rent 3D printers from us and use them for a house. And they will be able to, you know, eventually at least get basically models from an architect, pass it through a little bit of software and have uh, a ready to, to print uh, home. So wow. every, every company right now has a bit of a different uh, business model around it. Um, some are setting up print shops. So uh, I think we've got uh, Xtree that, that set up a, a print shop in Dubai recently. And so they're, they're doing demonstrations of, of what they can, you know, print. Um, and then you've got, uh, I think, Kobod that's out of Denmark there. They've sold one to a university for, for testing. So um, everyone is taking their own sort of uh, method to run this as a, as a business. Um, but we're, we're coming in from a very open point of view to see which aspect will be the, the, the easiest to collaborate with construction. There's um, some people that talk about the construction industry having a lot of pushback against I'm something sure. that is automating. Um, but if you think about the, uh, as, as you mentioned, you are only printing the structure or generally yeah. just the structure. So that's only one component. In, in Europe, uh, there's a lot of uh, masonry build. There's a lot of a lot more concrete in, in construction. Here, there's a lot of wood. So um, people may not want to right away switch from wood to a 3D printed concrete structure. Um, it can tend to still be very, very cost competitive to, to be doing that in wood. And the majority of the trades, you know, the, the, the plumbing, electrical, that all still has to happen. So right. uh, we have no intention of, you know, displacing uh, a quarter of the jobs or no, 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 no. We're, we're going to be lucky to get a tiny percentage of the gigantic construction industry. Right. So is this going to really affect, you know, home ownership and the economics of it all? Um, in, in the, you know, normal case of a home buyer, someone that's getting their first home, I would say no, not for now. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's biggest use cases are going to end up being in areas where transport is very difficult. 
So you can imagine um, a study came out actually from Research Board of Canada around uh, 3D printing for construction in uh, northern climates of Canada. Um, a standard small house cost $300,000, like very small, very simple house. Really? Cost $300,000. In, in a remote area. Yep. Because you can imagine that you have all this uh, wonderfully pre-made stuff, but it's not local. You have to ship it in. And the shipping costs are just astronomical. So mm. you can imagine if you are, just show up on site and all you're bringing with you is your robot and it's going to stay there and work. And you can you know, talk to a local quarry or, or someone that has materials locally. And you're just bringing in a couple additives to, to make you know, the chemistry work. You can be up and running and have a much more sustainable uh, construction process there because you're not shipping all of these components. Do you have like a concrete pumping truck that does this or is that all part of your whole robot? So um, essentially it's a smaller volume of pumping that's going on. Um, the, the type of pumps are closer to uh, mortar pumps mm -hmm. that we're using um, in terms of volume. So it's, they, they don't really go more than maybe 50 liters a minute. Um, but with time, we're going to be able to integrate that with a, a standard concrete pump and in sections that need pouring, you know, you can imagine uh, a larger pump and higher volume being integrated into that machine as, as one system. Um, but for now, it's a much smaller pump. And you can imagine, essentially, the mixing is happening on site a couple meters before the nozzle. Um, so you can have your dry ingredients in a silo nearby, and that's uh, being processed directly on site. That's good. So you're controlling everything. Exactly. Exactly. I could just see your local concrete pump guy. Everybody's pointing fingers at each other. Who's whose problem is it's not working out right? So exactly. Who who's who's in charge of that slump? Right. 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 Um, but it's it's essentially it's all part of the control system. Interesting. Yeah. What's the time frame on uh, this getting to the? I mean, nobody knows obviously, but like to the consumer well, market. Consumer market essentially. Um, I'll I'll take this example of I hate to to take the example of Tesla, but um, if you think of the the method in which uh, Tesla claims to have operated for the technology side, they built the most expensive car first, mm -hmm. and then they use revenue to build the cheaper car and cheaper car and cheaper car all the way down to the cheapest. Um, the reality of the situation is it's difficult to build a cheap house with this right now, so the market is going to be in the more high-end mm -hmm. area purely for the business case of it. Um, there are people that have um, contracts with uh, governments and NGOs across the world, and that's great. Um, but that's an area where you can get quite a bit of funding as well. So you can imagine that we're starting from a place of high quality and high value. And then over time, once we have the, the resources to refine that and get the get the prices down, mostly on the materials, um, then it'll be much more competitive. But but it's still it's still more expensive to build a house um, as far as labor and materials. It's still much more expensive to do this than, say, build a wooden frame or... I mean, if you compare it to a wooden frame, it's probably uh, uh, quite a bit more expensive right now. 
Mm-hmm. But you um, can do it in a tenth of the time or something, right? Exactly. And so that saves it's, money. It's it's also that um, you can essentially take the client's wishes and print them the next day if you wanted to. Um, well, if someone incredible. has an idea, you can you can do that. And if you can imagine, um, if you can imagine something other than a straight wall. <laughs> um, the wall doesn't also need to be straight in its texture. You can add textured surfaces. So if you can imagine like a, a brick wall, people like having a feature wall in their home and it's mm-hmm. brick or stone or whatever. You can integrate uh, a texture into your wall. To hmm. it, it might be for, for stylistically, but it could also be to have radiant heating ingrained, in, included in your wall directly. Um, it could be for air channels. It can be for whatever. Right, because they have to make sure that it just doesn't become like a cookie cutter. Every house is the same. Exactly. And there are printers out there that are following the motto of the cookie cutter. Um, There's, I think it's called Winsun in China. Um, I'm fairly certain they just bought an existing, uh, extremely large gantry CNC, uh, which from my industry would make me think it was uh, a CNC for uh, machining a mold plug um, for, for a wind turbine blade, but um, they print the same layout over and over and over and then are just using that to, to assemble buildings. Um, but what's more interesting to us is going to be all the special features, all the, the things you cannot create with conventional construction. What about a skyscraper? Is that ridiculous? It's, it's actually not ridiculous. There, there are a lot of people that have made claims that they have a printer that can achieve that. Um, we haven't seen any in practice, but if you think of the way that standard formwork uh, climbs uh, a skyscraper today, that's not very different from how a printer would climb one level at a time. You know. Do you have a guesstimate of how much it's going to cost? Uh, if somebody wanted to buy one of these from you or you haven't actually built it yet? The house or the printer? No, the printer. Oof. Uh, it it varies very much on options and on capabilities because um, there are printers available on the market right now that go anywhere from, seriously, from 30000 to $3.6 million. Yeah. Um, so the range is, is, is that. <laughs> I'm assuming yours are... On the high one. Yeah. Towards middle, middle high of that. Um, reason being is because we want to have the capacity for the size. Um, we want to be able to print on site and um, not have to truck components around because even those extremely large structures, many of them are set up within buildings and then you have to ship the components. So ideally you have something that just shows up on site. You maybe spend half a day on setup and then it's printing. So, so what is your target market? Like, okay, I want to build a house that's 5,000 square feet, or I want to build a building that's 100,000 square I'm trying to get a feel for what market we're, you're going after. We're, we're, we're really just thinking about the, you know, the 2,000 square foot, 2,500 square foot, quite, quite standard size house, mm-hmm. um, which will have a higher value because of its you know, complexity and interesting features. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, wow, Jonathan, thank you so much. Uh, fascinating stuff. And, My pleasure. Um, 
Yeah, I can't wait to hear how it all turns out. Uh, when is this project going to happen? Um, it's I will will probably be uh, printing in the middle to end of September. Wow. When you get it done, please let us know because I want to come <laughs> up and see it. I want to see it. Sounds good. I think there's going to be quite a few people that want to see it. Yeah, I Take a so photo too. of the ABB robot in use and <laughs> <laughs> that would be fascinating. Will do. Will do.